Hey, this is Taylor Gray, Ezra Bridger from Star Wars Rebels, and you are listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Taylor Gray and Ezra Bridger say out. Ezra, please, get out of there! I can't do that. It's up to all of you now. And remember, the Force will be with you. Always. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. All right, so we are back with uh, with Tom, my good friend and co-pilot, Tom Howell. And uh, Tom, I think we're going to dive into the remaining five episodes that we have not covered of Book of Boba Fett. And I'll get into a little bit of why I delayed on doing this uh, as we get going. But uh, welcome back. Hopefully everything's good on your end. And uh, always glad to have you on the show. Things are good here, Rob, and it's always great to be back in the Jedi Temple Archives for the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Uh, It's been too long and happy to get back and talk about some of these episodes of the Book of Boba Fett for sure. Yeah, yep. It was uh, it was a long time coming, but uh, I kind of, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about episodes three and four to start. um, And then uh, the next show, we will get into the remainder. But uh, when we watch these initially, uh, I know there's uh, quite a few people. People who who were not huge fans of episode three, and uh, I was certainly in that camp. I I didn't find a lot that I loved in that particular episode, uh, but I wanted to kind of be fair and and let the rest of the season play out so that I could kind of uh, you know have a, a broader perspective on the things that happened in episode three and not uh, knock them. I guess before we saw how that was all going to play out in the in the finale of the uh, season. So now that I've seen the whole thing, uh, I can kind of square my thoughts up with how things played out and i think i'll I'll be able to give it a little bit more of a fair shake 
Yeah, um, I didn't have as much of a problem as I, but I think this is going to be the truth on most of these episodes oh, that right. maybe I didn't have as much of a problem as some people did with some of these individual episodes or the series as a whole. Uh, but I can definitely see and I'm willing to listen to people's uh, discussions and arguments over what they didn't like and what they liked uh, from, again, episode three for sure. But then the, the entire uh, Book of Boba Fett series. Yeah, that's kind of what we do here. And uh, I know I've gotten a lot of feedback that people appreciate the fact that we we often have differing opinions on things but we're uh, we're always uh, fair with each other about it and respectful of each other and I think uh, the world could use a lot more of that so I'm glad that that's what people are taking away from these shows and uh, hopefully some fun little tidbits as well yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, that's that's what we're here for is to you know give viewpoints, whether they agree, whether they disagree. It's always a a good conversation that I believe we have. And we uh, you always bring out some great points, a lot of them that I don't pick up. And so that's always fun for me as I get into these episodes. But I mean, the bottom line is, look, you, you like it, you don't like it. It's fine. Just respect that other people do like it or don't like it. And it, it be OK with that. There's nothing wrong with either either side of the equation here right right yeah and i mean i think that's where a lot of the problems come in when when you have an opinion and you expect everyone else to agree with your opinion you're always going to be fighting an uphill battle with that for sure yeah and there's nothing wrong you don't have to like everything there's nothing wrong with that also if somebody else likes something that you don't like you're fine you know let them be you can you know have a civil conversation about it tell them why you didn't like it or tell them why you did like it but when it comes down to it it doesn't change your life that somebody else likes something you didn't like or vice versa no it always changes my life (laughs) (laughs) no but you know i I will say this episode uh i did love the fact that at the beginning of the episode we did finally get that shot of the uh spider droid carrying the the brain of the bomar monk that we talked about in the kickoff show that we did uh for book of boba fett so it was cool to kind of finally see that in context in the episode uh and uh we'll kind of get into what happens after that but uh what'd you think of that that kickoff to the show Oh, that was cool. You know, a throwback. I, I, I think that there was one great thing or one of the many great things that I personally thought in the show is that there were so many little Easter eggs and callbacks to uh, older Star Wars, original trilogy Star Wars, even a little bit of prequel Star Wars as you went through this, uh, through these episodes, because, you know, so much of it has been spent on Tatooine. So you know, there's all these little things that we know or have seen in the past or has, has at least been referenced at some point uh, through the years that we get to experience here. And, and, and that's certainly another one that I uh, always enjoy again. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I will say that uh, that of the entirety of Book of Boba Fett, this was my least favorite episode uh, of not only Book of Boba Fett, but also you know all the all the live action series they've done thus far, uh, primarily the first two seasons of Mandalorian. So uh, again, I mean, Bad Star Wars is still better than most other things on TV, but uh, I'm hoping that uh, that things kind of normalize a little bit, and certainly with some of the series like. Kenobi uh, and eventually Cassie and Andor uh, that we don't end up, you know, having real low lows, I guess. Uh, but as you mentioned, it's, it may not be as uh, bad an episode for you as it was for me. Uh, what were your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I understood people's arguments about it, especially with the mods uh, that came into it. I thought they were kind of quirky and interesting, but I can get why people were like, okay, they just seem out of place on Tatooine when it's just kind of this dusty, rustic area. But at the same point, I my argument is that, look, these are, you know, like essentially Tatooine's version of millennials. And of course, you know, <laughs> on this planet, they're going to do whatever they can to kind of stand out out there. So they're they're putting all these uh, droids modifications to their bodies they're tricking out their little speeders into with yeah, what really is a, is an actual uh, a look at what the mod scene used to be like in in england back in the time where they would actually do that with their vespas and stuff put these mirrors and things all over it so it did seem a little out of place but i i kind of got the what they were going for there um it wasn't i i have to say my mod the mods weren't my favorite thing i just didn't have as much disdain for them as i saw out there a lot on social media yeah i, I mean i know that that it was definitely a callback to that mod scene that you're talking about and uh i i referred to them as the Voltron Vespas, uh, primarily because if they had a black one, I, I figured they'd uh, all come together to form some awesome uh, fighting robot that would that would play into the final episode. I know uh, maybe Power Rangers is uh, a better reference for <laughs> for the younger audience, but uh, you know Voltron was what it was when when I was a kid, and uh, yeah. I, for me, it was absolutely that they felt out of place on Tatooine. If they would have shown up on a on a planet like uh, Corellia or uh, Coruscant or even Naboo, uh, where there's that money and and kind of high tech and affluence that you see uh, on those types of planets, I don't think they would have been out of place at all. But it was just they were too shiny and bright and. Um, just not what I would expect to see in, in kind of a dingy, grungy place like Moss Espa, Moss Eisley and, and, you know, the outer reaches of the galaxy. Yeah, I totally respect that opinion. I get it. Um, like I said, I just felt it was more of this group. They didn't want to blend in with what is there, the rest of the planet. They wanted to stand out. And so that's why they tricked themselves out and they tricked out uh, their speeder bikes the way they did. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll dive back into them a little bit later in the episode uh, as we kind of get around to the the final uh chase scene that they had there uh but you know i know early in the episode I, I will tell you that that within a pretty short period of time at the beginning of the episode i already knew who directed it and uh and this episode was directed by robert rodriguez i have not liked any of the episodes that he has directed um i i don't feel like he really gets star wars and he seems to go for more um you know, some of the references like he did with the mods, I, I didn't didn't love the fact that in this episode he pulled in Danny Trejo, who I think has just been seen in too many things to really fit within a lot of Star Wars stuff. Uh, when I see people who are so recognizable, it kind of pulls me out of it. Um, I'm sure that, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't. Uh, but uh, just the the approach that he takes to directing episodes, I haven't cared for. I've thought that they've been uh, some of the lower end episodes of both of the shows. He he did an episode in Mando there as well. Uh, but uh, you know, what were your thoughts on on Rodriguez and and the way he has been directing episodes? Um, I understand. I think he tends to kind of. I don't know, clog some of his episodes, tries to fit a little too much in, maybe is the can be the argument yeah. uh, with, for him. Um, I don't really have, again, well, once again, I don't have the issues you have with him. Uh, I agree. I, I think that there are other directors out there that have done some things a bit better or that I've enjoyed a bit more, but I don't have the uh, general issue with him. Also, uh, by the way, you were mentioning uh, the cameos. Also, Stephen Root was the other famous uh, cameo yep. in this episode that uh, came in as the watermonger. 
Um, so, you know, if you're looking for another character that might draw you out of it, uh, him coming in, you know, you know, looking for his stapler or, I mean, the uh, yeah. water um, might have been uh, something that may have called back to you at some point. Yeah, I know when he showed up, my, my wife, Kim, was like, he looks familiar. And I said, yeah, it's, uh, I believe you have my stapler Yeah, from Office Space, so... So many different things. He's a great actor. He's been in so many, uh, you know, different movies and television shows, and I've enjoyed him in most things. And uh, I actually thought he was we were going to get more out of him in this series, but it was just that cameo at least right. so, that we've seen so far. Don't know if we're going to get a Book of Boba Fett season two, if we're going to revisit this in season three or beyond in The Mandalorian. But uh, it was a, kind of a, a little interesting tidbit to throw into this episode near the beginning of it yeah i i agree i mean uh i mean again for me star wars starts with telling a great story and then if you want to do uh cameos or if you want to do uh things like they did with with the mods with trying to bring in a little bit of of uh culture uh from the real world into the show and kind of express that in a certain way i don't have a problem with that certainly a lot of the um you know the easter eggs that we see in the show as long as they're in there as background items for the story i don't mind them i i don't think that uh easter eggs or or those types of references for fans can make a bad episode great uh, i just think they make a good episode a lot more fun to watch so um that's that's kind of my takeaway from some of these things and and i definitely thought that steven root was less of a distraction i mean i knew who it was but it's not a slap in the face like a danny trejo um especially danny trejo playing essentially the same character he always plays has he ever really played a different character? No. He's just kind of Danny Trejo and right. everything he does, uh, Machete. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's just kind of who he is, so it doesn't surprise me. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of made – he actually kind of made sense for the role that they put him in there as the, the Rancor Keeper. I just could kind of see him as being that. So if you're going to sure. fit if – you, if you really and, – and, you know, I mean – Rodriguez and, and uh, Trejo have worked often together. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they're like, Trejo is like, you know, I really want to be in a Star Wars at some point. And he's like, okay, well, I got this small role. Um, this might be perfect for you. And so I kind of see them as having this friendship, as having this working relationship where they might want to uh, put this into the equation. Yeah, it was either that or like I could see him being in a swoop bike gang. Um, but, you know, they went with the Nictos there. So I don't have an issue there. Um, I, I will say, you know, this episode, seeing Boba Fett uh, in his back to tank, uh, especially early on in the episode, not an unusual way to start an episode the way things have been going, uh, but that pretty quickly devolves into a, a little visit from Black Kersantan. Yes, uh, quite a little visit from Black Kersantan. And poor, talk about taken out of your dream state. Uh, seriously, I mean, how would you like to get ripped out by that thing and thrown across your your uh, your your um, bedroom there, or whatever you want to call it? Because man, that is a brutal awakening. Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was uh, kind of a, a weird fight for me. Uh, I wanted to love it because uh, certainly seeing Black Kersantan and Boba Fett kind of squaring off, especially Boba Fett without his armor, uh, would have been really cool. I did think they got into some issues with the fight choreography. Just It was too obvious that you had people kind of standing around and attacking one at a time. But, you know, in the overall uh, scheme of things, I thought that seeing Black Kersantan in action was fairly cool. And uh, certainly Boba Fett in the first three episodes just kind of kept getting it handed to him over and over and over. 
Yeah, I mean, but he was obviously still healing from everything he'd been through uh, over the last several years and how his body would broken down uh, so distinctly um, yeah. from, of course, the acid, uh, from uh, being in the Sarlacc and then the sun when he was with the Tuscans and everything else that he just had to suffer through. And he was, that's the reason why he's in the back to tank to begin with. I mean, yes, it's, it's the setting for these dreamlike states where we can go and and, and have some uh, look back into the, his past and how he got to this point. Uh, but the real reason he's there is because he needed to heal his body and he was still uh, you know, at least a few more uh, trips into that back to tank from, from getting there. We finally get there, you know, in another episode or so, but uh, it, it takes a while when he's taken such a beating, you know, both physically and, you know, we can also talk about his mental beating that he's taken over the last several years as well. Yeah. It hasn't exactly been the best of times for Boba Fett. Uh, I do want to mention uh, Carrie Jones, who's the actor that played Black Kersantan uh, within Book of Boba Fett. Um, it was pretty funny because I fairly quickly uh, within his arrival in the show, he he uh, he makes a move at one point, and I think it's actually in episode four in the cantina uh, where he's facing off against the Trandoshans, uh, where he just kind of like Rah! and flexes at him. And that move was just textbook out of the Predator films. Uh, and after doing a little checking, he, in fact, was one of the actors that had played the Predator in those uh, that series of films. So. I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, a guy whose face is typically not in the episode and you wouldn't recognize him that way has body language that is so recognizable. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was easy to go back to when you're looking for, you know, how am I going to be this menacing figure? And obviously you look back at what you've used in the past and, you know, as the former predator, um, you're going to look at that and say, okay, this is a maneuver I can use to kind of get that that scariness across that I, I'm trying to portray. And so if it doesn't surprise me that he would just go right back into his, his, his toolbox and, and whip that one out. Yeah, he certainly did. And uh, the other thing that, uh, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about the gift of the Rancor, uh, which uh, was presented to Boba Fett here in this episode by uh, the two huts that had previously shown up in episode two. I did think it was a little bit strange. Uh, it was I guess just a choppy scene in the sense that I wouldn't have expected the huts to give up Tatooine quite so easily. I, I know that there are some uh, some events that took place kind of off screen with the Empire uh, doing a pretty good job of, of hitting the huts pretty hard and uh, destroying the hut council, etc. cetera. Um, but, the, you know, it just it, for the two of them after in the previous episode kind of staking their claim to the world, all of a sudden showing up at the gates to Jabba's former palace and uh, not only saying that they're bowing out of the equation but also delivering a, a gift as extravagant as a rancor um, just you know it seemed like a, a pretty large gap to to leap uh, between a couple episodes right I mean one of my few problems with the entire series is I thought that there was a lot put out there that seemed like it might lead in different directions. There's kind of a lot of questions of like, is this honest? Is this going to yeah. turn around and bite uh, Boba at some point? We're never really answered. They just never really went anywhere with mm -hmm. them. Um, I kind of felt like maybe that the twins there got, uh, 
maybe paid off by the syndicate, by the Pikes, um, possibly like, look, we don't need you here as well. Or maybe they just realized, or maybe the Pikes just played him a visit and said, look, you don't want to be involved in this mess that's about to happen here. So why don't you just, you know, get out of here now with the reason, you know, the, the gift of the rancor, I think it was more convenience than anything else. Cause they just wanted that to play into having Jabba's palace and, you know, having what we, how we end up finishing the entire series, but it's, it, you can look at it a lot of different ways, but again, that, that is probably one of the few things that really I had an issue with was just not enough things that were, set out there that actually paid off yeah well and this is you know that was one of the items that kind of made me uh hold off on doing episodes right away i thought you know okay so they're laying a lot of stuff out there let's say what plays out what doesn't um but i agree i think there were a lot of things that they put out there that ended up just going nowhere um and you know some things that they didn't explain some some leaps in logic uh, as as we were talking with the the huts kind of bowing out of the scene i think it's completely likely the pikes would have paid them off uh or basically you know threatened them in some way uh certainly the pike syndicate was very powerful at this point in time um and i and i will say that if anyone wants to learn more about the pikes we have done an entire episode on them uh back when uh when Clone Wars season seven was going on because they played pretty heavily into that as well. So go check that out. Uh, but uh, we won't get a ton into the Pikes beyond saying, I do think it's funny. Um, and this is an ob observation from my wife. She's like, why are the Pikes, the, the heads of this huge criminal syndicate, uh, always taking public transportation? <laughs> Well, you know, you got to cut corners here. You got to cut corners there. You know, I mean, do I really want to have my own vehicle here? I mean, you know, you drive it off the lot and the value just plummets. I mean, come on. We're all good investments here. Yeah, they all they all apparently come with a, a great pair of bus pants and uh, they're ready to travel, travel wherever. So I just, you know, and, and it's nothing that I've thought about in the past, but certainly to just see them debarking from a, a typical galactic public transport uh, was, was a little bit strange. You'd think they'd have their own star cruisers uh, and, you know, extravagant starships, but uh, apparently they're just a different kind of syndicate. Maybe they, you know, maybe they got you know this great deal, this group deal for the Pike Syndicate, where they got sponsored by the Halcyon or whatever, and so now that they they're taking all these uh, different ships from here and there, and they they have this just great company-wide corporate structure to get maybe first class, maybe a great cabin, whatever, you know, they're just taking advantage of how large the syndicate is. Right, right. They're uh, platinum frequent flyers. Yes, exactly. They use the lounge. It's all good. Uh, going back to speaking of riding things, uh, the uh, the conversation between Danny Trejo and Bobo when they had the Rancor kind of established back in, in Jabba's former palace. I guess you'd call it Boba's palace at this point. Um where uh you know boba's like i want to i want to learn to ride it i've ridden bigger things and that was such a great uh reference back to the star wars christmas special where he had uh ridden that pars uh ichthyodont so mm -hmm. uh, you know he's clearly had he's ridden things much bigger than a rancor uh, but it's not something we've seen in canon at this point i know that the witches of dathomir the reference that that danny trejo's character makes to the fact that the witches of dathomir ride rancors uh is certainly something out of what you used to be legends um and i'm kind of glad that they you know brought that into the uh pictures because that brings that back into canon as well but um you know what'd you what'd you think about that were you expecting at that point that boba was absolutely riding this rancor at some point within the yes. season 
<laughs> I thought it was pretty obvious that this was going to happen at some right. point. I didn't know for what reason or why, but uh, I knew it was going to happen. Actually, it has happened in canon. It, uh, Omega rode oh, the uh, right. young Rancor Bad in, batch, uh, right. in the Bad Batch. Omega. Um, and ac- <laughs> actually, the way the Rancor kind of – I, I kind of wondered. I felt this Rancor had to be uh, – a it couldn't be old enough to be the one that Omega rode. Yeah, but I kind of was yeah. curious the way – it kind of accepted Boba so quickly that maybe it had some experience with some beings that were very similar and uh, very much like him, you know, in that they were clones basically of his father um, at some point that maybe, and it could have been the same rancor, but it just didn't seem like it was age correct. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I guess we don't know exactly how rancors age, but uh, certainly would have been a pretty tight turnaround, I think, uh, in order for it to have gotten that large and intimidating. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've already kind of covered the the whole situation uh, with the mods, I mean, a little bit about the uh, mod, the mods themselves. But um, we also end up kind of at the end of the episode, the, uh, the chase scene with uh, Dave Pasquizzi's character of the Major Domo. Um, basically fleeing from the from the mods and they have that entire chase through the streets of Mos Espa. Uh, what were your takeaways on that? Uh, it was, it was a whatever to me, um, wasn't the greatest chase scene I've ever seen. Wasn't the worst chase scene I've ever seen, but it was, it was, a you know, but I mean, we're looking at the guy who you can tell he's just kind of a bumbling guy. I mean, they, they, they cast who they cast in that role for a real purpose. And, you know, so he's not going to be the most astute person driving a speeder through the streets of, of, of Tatooine. So it didn't surprise me. You know, I mean, I, I wasn't crazy about it, but I just kind of felt like, they needed to add a little punch at the end. I just don't think they got the punch across that they wanted to land. Or oh, you don't think crashing into a cart of Maleroon fruit uh, is is the uh, the crowning achievement to a chase scene? Very Back to the Future, by the way, oh, right, <laughs> the way right. that ended. <laughs> I did love though that uh, at one point in the chase scene, you see uh, the speeder driven by Dave Pasquizzi, you know, crash through the painting. Uh, and oh, yeah. the, the Macquarie concept art of Jabba's throne room, I thought that was a, a cool little Easter egg that they threw in there that, uh, you know, if you weren't looking, you probably would have missed it pretty easily. Uh, but it's, you know, any, anything Ralph Macquarie, I would love to own Macquarie art at some point. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just so iconic to Star Wars. Yeah, maybe if you uh, saw it, you didn't realize. You just saw, oh, look, it's uh, it's Jabba and his palace or whatever. But yeah, that was actual um, Ralph McQuarrie concept art. So that was really cool. Yep, yep. Um, and uh, like we said, you know, the Pikes, the Pikes arriving on planet at the end, it was pretty clearly setting up the final confrontation that we saw in episode seven. Um, and uh, you know, what 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 were your thoughts about uh, at this point in the season, looking forward to that battle between Boba and the Pikes? Um, I was interested in it, but again, it's another one of those things that I expected more from. Um, I was wondering if we were going to get some Crimson Dawn type stuff Mm -hmm. out of it, you know, because of how closely associated the Pikes were to that. And we just never kind of got there. So uh, I didn't have a problem with it per se. It can just be the Pike Syndicate. That's fine. But I was still hoping they might push it just a little further. Right. Yeah. I, you know, there were missed opportunities. I certainly think that what we're seeing with with these um, series, especially what we've seen here uh, with with Book of Boba Fett, I thought originally 
six, seven episodes was going to be kind of tough to tell a really well-rounded story. And when you get into the fact that episodes, uh, you know, five and six end up being kind of off brand for Book of Boba Fett. It was really like uh, Mando season three, episode zero and point five. Um, you know, they they didn't have a lot of a lot of runway to work with. So a lot of this stuff that they kind of dropped uh, hints about and never really followed through on. Uh, I think that they probably could have used uh, the time that they spent developing those things a little bit better to to tell the story in a more rounded way. But um, you know, again, it's uh, different strokes for different folks, and uh, I'm sure there were people who liked it just fine. Yeah, and I liked it just fine. I didn't. Again, I, I, I tend to look at things when I when I watch them the first time. I just kind of take them in and enjoy them. I try and delve back into my, uh, uh, you know, eight year old self when mm-hmm. I first watched Star Wars, when I first watched The New Hope, and kind of just be that child and just take in the excitement, the adventure of it. And I enjoy a lot of these shows just like that, you know. And then sometimes I will take looks at different pieces back of it, and you know. You know, pick it apart a little bit more. It still doesn't cut what I enjoyed out of it completely. I, I usually won't let it do that. But it doesn't mean that I don't look back and kind of analyze and say, oh, yeah, they could have done things a little bit better or I, they really nailed that. Yeah. Completely agree. I mean, you gotta you gotta take away what you can and uh, enjoy what you can in most shows. And uh, again, I apparently I I miss I. I think I'm supposed to be uh, tapping into my childlike self, and I end up tapping into my childish self. <laughs> I understand it each their own. We all take these things in exactly how we should, you know, that it, it is who, what our personality is, how we enjoy them. And how we decide that we want to um, not take them as lightly or as heavily as they should be. Yeah. Uh, so I think at this point we'll go ahead, unless you've got anything else you want to bring up for episode three, we'll go ahead and jump into episode four. Now let's move on. All right. So episode four, uh, titled The Gathering Storm. Uh, I thought this was really where we were going to start to get into, you know, wrapping up uh, some of the backstory. And certainly they they did start this episode off by having another fairly flashback heavy portion uh, with Boba in his in his uh, back to tank and flashing back to some of the uh, scenes, especially him coming out and finding Fennec on the sands of Tatooine after her uh, confrontation with Toro Calican, where he had shot her, basically gut shot her and left her for dead. Yeah. uh, A lot of things that tied back into where we were at, at that point in the uh, Mandalorian, um, you know, the fact that he's in um, Mos Eisley and you see the um, the pikes with the, not the pike syndicate, the actual pikes with the uh, stormtrooper helmets on there. You see Pelimato uh, kind of walk by in the distance at one point. And then when right at that same point, you see he's kind of going over some of the dunes and you see some of the, um, some flashes kind of going over the hills, which were uh, these, the, the flashes they were using to kind of distract Fennec from being able to shoot uh, Mando uh, as they were uh, approaching her and trying to capture her. Yeah, those flares uh, definitely kind of helped cement that point in time, uh, bringing, you know, the timeline that we've seen with Boba in line with what we remembered from Mandalorian. Um, I caught that you know, right away, I was, I was uh, happy to kind of see kind of where we were. Uh, Cause every time they showed him out there in the, in the sands of Tatooine with those Tuscans, it was kind of hard to tell uh, where we were in the overall timeline and how things tied up with Mando. Uh, but that certainly cemented it. Um, I, you know, we get to see him uh, 
find uh, Fennec and uh, and kind of the path that he took to to bring her back to health you know she looked like she was a goner certainly a place like Tatooine they're not going to have uh, advanced medical facilities right and left uh, so you know he ends up taking her to the actual mod parlor, mod parlor uh, where they were able to kind of get her stitch back together uh, with all of the the technical instruments that we saw uh, her display in that Mando episode where she kind of opened that uh, section of her her chest armor up and and showed her reworked in insides yeah uh, that's exactly a callback as to how that actually happened because i think we all kind of wondered a little bit you know how did fennec you know obviously we we knew we were pretty sure that it was boba that found her there uh when we saw that scene near the end of that episode of the mandalorian um but, you know, how did it get from here? How did he patch her up? You know, we didn't know, if, you know, he had this kind of medical skill or whatever. But now we know, OK, this is kind of something that's been going on. I mean, obviously, it's not the first time we've seen uh, using synthetic parts to rebuild uh, different characters within the Star Wars universe. Look at Luke's hand. Look yeah. at Vader, Anakin. Um, you know, it's 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 happened many, many times in the past. But um, just it was interesting that we, I don't think we've seen it for as much internal uh, use, especially on a human. No, for sure. And, you know, it was interesting because this particular scene bothered me way less than most of the other mod stuff, just in the sense that it looked more like what you'd expect to find on Tatooine. It was kind of a rundown exterior to the place that looked, you know, like a, a, a building that you would see pretty much anywhere on Tatooine. Um, the inside was a little darker, a little grungier. Uh, certainly the, the modifier character uh, was played by Stephen Thundercat Bruner, who I had not been familiar with really prior to the episode. Um, it's not really my genre of music, but, uh, you know, certainly a guy who, if you're into, to, you know, rap and R and B that you'd probably be familiar with. So again, cool little cameo there and, uh, kind of seeing how he, uh, brought Fennec back from the edge was, uh, was interesting. Yeah. And he had his own modification to his arm, which was, uh, I believe a piece from a, a, a super battle droid. Yeah. Is, uh, what he, you had there, which is kind of an interest. If you, if you picked it out, that was kind of an interesting addition, but that's another way it kind of fits in with, with Tatooine. It's kind of using what's been discarded, what they may have found around to, um, you know, recreate some of these body parts and, or enhance those body parts. Yep. Uh, and after getting Fennec uh, nurse back to health, um, they end up, trying to trying to get uh, Boba's uh, Slave One fire spray gunship out of Jabba's palace. And uh, that was uh, that was quite interesting. I, I thought it was really cool when Fennec uh, opened the butt of her blaster and kind of had her little kit, including her little spy droid in there. Um, I'd seen her pull knives out of the, the butt of her blaster rifle in the past. But to see that she had essentially an, uh, it, it was like a Swiss Army rifle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It looked like the golden snitch to me. I, I, oh, I thought <laughs> Harry Potter was going to come out and try and catch it. But uh, no, it was really cool the way it kind of went in there and mapped out the whole space and they can kind of get an idea of, of where everybody was located and and where to kind of attack this place to go get the Boba's ship back. Yeah, infiltrating through the sewers. I thought it was funny that they'd come up right in the kitchen because uh, I imagine most of what came out of there probably tasted like it came out of a sewer. Uh, <laughs> I know that, you know, Jabba loved his uh, his 
slimy frogs and uh, whatnot. But, I, you know, there was a couple of droids hanging out in the kitchen there when they make their incursion into the, the palace. And uh, one was the CEOO droid, uh, the cook droid, which uh, when he started twirling his limbs, I got to believe that I wasn't the only one who immediately had flashbacks to General Grievous. For sure. I totally did that. But, and, and by the way, you're looking at that. I don't think you want to talk, tell him that his food came out of the sewer because that may be what you're facing if you tell him. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's instantly flashback to Grievous when he was just uh, twirling those blades around. That was, that was pretty cool. I liked it. I wish I, I think I need him as my sous chef actually, because yeah. I, I can use somebody who could chop at that without ability. Right. Right. And then they had like the little rat catcher droid, the uh, LEP service droid that we did see uh, quite a bit in the clone wars. He was not like a, major character uh but i did think it was funny that you know they chase him down and he ends up deactivating himself which for me all i could think of was uh was ig11 in the mandalorian you know talking about how he was gonna initiate self-destruct um yeah. you know <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's funny. And he even kind of gives this slightly little sigh when he deactivates uh, and deactivates himself. He was, uh, it was very comical and interesting. I love that the rat catcher is this, this, this uh, droid that just kind of goes throughout and is scrambling. It was a little ratatouille like in the way he was scrambling under the tables and the ovens and trying to get away from um, Boba and Fennec. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, Boba eventually does uh, reclaim Slave One. And uh, I know it's been renamed to the fire spray gunship or whatever they want to call it now but uh uh it'll always be slave one to me so uh it's hard to think of it any other way totally get that totally understand yep uh but uh you know obviously the first thing boba does uh, which i think seems strange to me you know the fact that he felt like he had to go back to the sarlacc and reclaim his armor but i guess it just goes to show how out of it he was when he crawled out of the sarlacc pit there and and uh what we in the events we saw in episode one and and got stripped of his armor by the jawas uh he clearly did not recall that's what had happened to him and uh, so he thinks his armor is down there in the bowels of the sarlacc and now that he's got his gun gunship back um you know his his first plan of action was to take it and just go face down right into the belly of the rancor yeah he's like i'm gonna get you back for all you did to me all that torment you you gave me over and we don't know how long he was in there it seemed like it wasn't very it wasn't very long at all but then you look at the the burns on his body and everything and maybe he was in the belly of the sarlacc uh longer than we thought so you know of course he wants to get back and and mostly he was trying to get his armor first but then when the armor's not there it's like fine get out of here we're gonna get rid of you (laughs) yeah it uh it had to be a wake-up call though when the sarlacc basically sprung back to life uh he must have thought that that he had either harmed it really bad or killed it with his flamethrower when he escaped um and i you know i guess i could see why he thought that if he was able to escape without any of the tentacles whipping out and pulling him back in uh you know he he had no reason to necessarily think that it was still alive but uh clearly a sarlacc is uh is just fine at being able to take on a gunship like that fire spray yeah took him on for quite a battle i was surprised at how strong that thing is that it was able to take it on yet it can only take a a little blaster from a half blind han to let go of lando calrissian so uh, you know what is really going on with them there but just a lucky uh, shot i'm sorry go ahead just a lucky shot right yeah that's it (laughs) 
that's it. So, but um, yeah, and you got to think that Boba, obviously he didn't know that it, he was wearing his armor when he got out of there. So, it, you know, that the whole thing, I was it a, even a, just a dream? Uh, you know, what happened there? It had to be quite a blur for him. Uh, so whether the, uh, the Sarlacc was alive or not, uh, he, he wanted to see if that armor was in there. Yeah, I did love that, uh, you know, Fennec, uh, Boba does not like people touching the buttons in his ship, by the way. But uh, Fennec just happens to save the, the two of them from the Sarlacc by deploying one of those sonic charges that we saw back in Attack of the Clones. Uh, same effect, same sound. Uh, and again, that's, I think, one of the cooler sound effects, I think, uh, in Star Wars, as is the fire spray when, when, it, uh, when it fires its blasters, uh, as we saw at the end of the episode when he kind of tracks down that Nikto biker gang and gets his revenge on them. Uh, the Slave One just has some iconic sounding weapons. Yeah, there's no there's no question that that sonic uh, burst, that sonic bomb that he uses is just the way there's the it explodes and there's this delay of dead silence before it it wails out is just kind of one of the coolest things, one of the coolest sounds in Star Wars for sure. Yeah, completely. Um, and then kind of getting back to you know the current day uh, toward the end of the episode, we do get to see uh, Black Kersantan in the sanctuary that uh, cantina that we've seen now a number of times with. Jennifer Beals, uh, Madame Garza, and uh, again we get to see a little bit of the a little bit of uh, some, one of the rivalries, I guess, in Star Wars. Trandoshans and Wookies do not care for each other. No, and especially Blacker Sin, who is has been basically been made to be a gladiator for them yeah. in the past. So of course he's going to, above anything else, have a, quite a grudge against any Trandoshans, whether they these ones specifically had anything to do with them or not, he's going to feel a certain way about them for sure. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of goes back to uh, the first episode where we get to see the Trandoshan uh, presenting that uh, Wookiee pelt to Boba as kind of uh, the tribute, I guess, to, uh, to him as Daimo. Uh, pretty sure it was episode one. It might've been episode two. Uh, but, uh, that was definitely a Wookiee pelt. Uh, you know, Boba has been known to wear braids of Wookiee pelt, uh, as part of the decor for his armor as well. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not unheard of for sure. So, um, it, it, that's why he would, we, we mentioned this when we talked about the first couple episodes that it, it seemed like a suitable, uh, gift for him and in, in his new position there at, at the palace. So, you know, and of course the trend oceans and Wookiees, as you already mentioned, uh, there is no love lost there for sure. No, no, not at all. Uh, and the other, uh, one of the other items within that cantina scene that, that got me me to smile was the fact that uh, Fennec makes a reference to singing like a yuzum. Uh, so we did get to see that in Return of the Jedi with the with the band that was playing there in Jabba's palace. They had that big mouth singer named uh, Joe Yauza, uh, who was a yuzum. And also it's a reference back to the uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye book. Um, the the mm. yuzum were a pretty uh, big portion of that as well. It was uh, it, actually interesting to me because yuzum were uh, characters that George Lucas had originally played planned for Return of the Jedi as uh, kind of the main uh, protagonist there in the, the scenes on um, 
not Yavin on Endor, uh, the, the forest moon of Endor. Uh, they were the, the creatures that he wanted to have in those scenes, but uh, with their long, really thin spindly legs, they just could not figure out how to make it work. And that is what then, uh, you know, his backup plan was to go with essentially what became the Ewoks. So uh, we would have seen Yuzum play a bigger part in that movie if they'd have been able to figure out how to make him work. I think probably it would have uh, maybe taken away from it um, if they were having that big a technical issue with it. They probably wouldn't have been too active. Uh, but now that we have, you know, the ability to do CGI and things like that, maybe less of an issue. Yeah, and that's, you know, as we saw many times with George and the reason why he re-released special editions and so forth is so he, some of the ideas that he had to begin with, he could uh, fix them in his viewpoint and uh, add some of the things he wanted. That's why, he, obviously, he added them, added him, even though he couldn't change completely what happened on the forest moon of Endor. Yeah, well, I'm still going to put one in here, and he's going to be the new singer uh, there for the Max Rebo band. <laughs> Yeah, and the episode uh, the episode finishes with Mando and Fennec there, kind of on in the uh, one of the towers of, of Jabba's palace or Jabba's former palace, uh, and they're talking about the fact that you know he's got credits, he he doesn't have muscle, and he knows this impending confrontation is coming, uh, and he's got a kind of. Uh, get ready for it. I mean, he, he's uh, part of the episode was him talking to the, the various heads of the organizations, uh, and having that dinner with them and, and talking to them about, you know, them either siding with him or staying out of the fight altogether. Uh, and so he, he clearly is trying to rally his troops and, and prepare for, for this confrontation with the Pikes he knows is coming. Uh, and there's that reference to, uh, you know, Fennec knowing, knowing a guy, uh, that may be able to help. And we get that Mandalorian, uh, musical cue that, uh, mm -hmm. is just, I don't think anyone could have possibly missed that. Yeah. You knew it was coming. Um, you just didn't know how and what was going to, how it was going to go about happening, but you knew that was coming. Also the meeting between the, the, the heads of the different, uh, syndicates or whatever they are and uh, the uh, crime groups there within uh, Tatooine. Uh, interesting placement of the table there just right <laughs> above the Rancor pit. Just right. in, you know, it, was just, it was just a perfect place and a room for it, I'm sure. It was no coincidence you know, that that was there. Uh, but it was uh, it, very interesting um, the way they set that up and Okay, yeah, we agree. We'll, we'll we'll go along with you. We won't get in the way here, uh huh. Um, this, but yeah, that musical tone there was like, okay, we well, can't wait for next week for sure. Yep, and uh, again, I think uh, you know certainly uh, that's going to be the next show. We'll get into a little bit more about what happens in uh, episodes five and six and kind of how the whole thing wraps up. But uh, I think that's probably a great place to leave it for now. So, Tom, thank you so much for joining. Why don't you let everyone uh, know where they can find you and your wonderful wife, Michelle, and uh, take it away. Thank you, Rob. Always a pleasure being here with you in the Jedi Temple Archives for the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Uh, if you'd like to listen to the podcast that I do with my wife, Michelle, uh, we talk mostly about things, Disney, the parks, the cruises, uh, and so forth. Uh, however, we do also talk Star Wars. We talk a lot of Marvel. And if you ever want to catch that show, uh, the easiest place to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. But we are on all the podcatchers out there. 
And if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Yeah, and don't forget to check Tom out. Uh, he's got a Disney Dishes blog as well that uh, has always got amazing recipes on there. Uh, I know that uh, so our friends Charles, uh, specifically Charles Westcott from the uh, from the Conversations Podcast, had just used one of your recent recipes to make some food for Valentine's Day weekend, and they said it was delicious. So uh, definitely check that out if you're looking for some awesome recipes and kind of step-by-step instructions in terms of how to get those prepared. Yeah, DisneyDishesBlog.com uh, if you want to check that out. And uh, yeah, we got really recently ranked very highly as far as the uh, Disney food blogs out there. Really, really a surprise, but an honor for sure. Yeah, awesome to see you getting some recognition for all the hard work you put into that stuff. Uh, and certainly anything that leads to a delicious meal can never be a bad thing. So thank mm. you so much for giving us that information. Uh, certainly, if you want to find our episodes here at Jedi Temple Archives podcast, uh, easiest way to do that is to check out our website jtapodcast.com uh, if you want to talk star wars you can certainly find us on socials typically on twitter at jta podcast and uh, you can reach us via email at jtapodcast at gmail.com so uh, we're going to wrap it for this week we will be back soon to talk the rest of book of boba fett and uh, then we can get into some episodes to kind of prep people for what we hope is coming down the road so uh, look forward to that we're going to be putting episodes out a little more regularly at this point uh, now that we're established in 2022. So uh, looking forward to doing those episodes. Hopefully you guys all have a great week and may the force be with you. <laughs>